Hello London, we are ready for your vote. Hello, I'm Stephen Perkins and this is Douzepoir, the Eurovision podcast that fits snugly into the binge-watch family. It's now over a week since the grand final of Eurovision 2023, and now that the dust has settled and the confetti cannons are packed away for another year, I'm here for one last look at this year's contest and the things that we can take away from it. Before I do that though, a quick reminder that we are out there in the world of Twitter at bingewatch underscore pod, where you can follow us for the latest news from both Doucepoir and Bingewatch, and you can even message us if there's anything in particular you would like us to know. But please keep it clean. I'm going to start by dropping the D word. That's right, discourse. I don't reckon I'm alone in thinking that the general tone of discussion around Eurovision in this country in the last couple of years has improved immensely, and it's been so, so encouraging to hear the enthusiasm with which people have been speaking about this year's contest. Sure, I've still heard a handful of people say, the UK's never going to win, it's rigged, we should pull out entirely, but only a handful of people, compared to the masses of people who I've heard saying how much they enjoyed the show this year, how much they loved the songs, how disappointed they are that we didn't do better, but they can appreciate that our song worked better on the radio than it did live at Eurovision. We're almost starting to talk about the contest like we're a serious nation, and I know a lot of that is to do with the fact that we hosted this time round, and we probably shouldn't get too used to people being that invested in it just yet. But the fact that we've upped the standard of the conversation to this level in the first place is really, really encouraging. Speaking of things that are encouraging, let's talk about the UK charts. For the first time in the history of both the UK charts and the Eurovision Song Contest, there are four Eurovision songs in the UK Top 10 right now, and all of them from this year's contest. Lorene is at number two with Tattoo, eclipsing her previous peak of reaching number three with Euphoria back in 2012. Karia is at number six with Cha Cha Cha, our own Mae Muller is at number nine with I Wrote a Song, and after hovering just outside the top ten all week in the midweeks, Norway's Alessandra made it across the line with Queen of Kings just in time to finish at number ten. That is an incredible achievement, and it's a sign that Eurovision isn't just a thing people watch for a laugh on Saturday night, it's something they are taking into their hearts in the following weeks, they are embracing the songs, they are listening to those songs as they go out and about and live their lives. And while those four songs were the big hitters, it's pretty amazing to see that also Israel, Austria, Poland, Belgium, Australia, Cyprus, France and Ukraine all made the top 100. Eurovision has had a huge impact on the UK charts this year, and that is good, and that's how it should be. It hasn't all been good news though. I was waiting for the full results to come out so I could examine how the UK ranked in all of the voting countries, not just the ones that gave us points. Whether my eternal hope that we'd you know, just missed out on a couple of extra points by one or two places might actually prove justified this year. And it wasn't really. It turns out the only situations where we narrowly missed out on a few extra points were in the Irish televote and the Albanian and Lithuanian jury votes. Indeed, there were 42 instances of us being 20th or lower in either the jury or televote of a particular country. So, you can certainly make the case that we were mid-table in a few cases, and that ultimately being mid-table is as much use as being last when it comes to points, but it's also clear that we just kind of biffed it this year. Obviously I'm sad about that, but I'm not as despondent as I would have been in previous years, because on this occasion, I think at least it was a noble failure. We sent a radio-friendly track that was representative of modern British pop music, and that genuinely had the possibility of doing well. We got it wrong, but at least we were trying to do something with our heads screwed on. What I hope happens now is that we learn from this, that we figure out where we went wrong this year, and apply those lessons to next year's selection. And I'm quietly hopeful about that, because, as I said earlier, I feel like we are responding to this failure in more of a mature adult manner. I mean, I can't entirely discount the possibility that the BBC will do a massive knee-jerk panic, end up playing it super safe next year, and then flopping for an entirely different reason, but I am at least fairly optimistic that the people in charge 
genuinely care enough to put some proper thought into reflecting on 2023 and looking at what the other nations got right that we didn't and how we can fix that next time. Ultimately, it's not that uncommon for the host nation to do poorly at Eurovision in, in recent years, and I suspect that's partly due to the issue of focus. When you're busy trying to arrange the entire contest rather than simply focusing on your own delegation, it is pretty possible that you are just going to miss things. You're not going to have the perspective that you might have when you've got that laser focus. I'm still kind of frustrated by the fact that the problems with I Wrote a Song were generally fixable. I still believe it was possible for us to do well with this track, and perhaps we added a bit of oomph with the backing singers, got the cameras up a bit closer, approached the staging in a different way. I mean, it could have been a very different story. But the one thing I think we can really take home from this year's contest is that the old refrain that we do badly at Eurovision because everyone hates us simply isn't true. You could see in the reactions from the jury spokespeople during the final that there is a lot of affection for the UK out there. They genuinely want us to do well. And as people keep pointing out, it's pretty difficult to vote against anybody at Eurovision, but what we're struggling to do is to give people a reason to actively vote for us. Sam Ryder was an exception last year, and we're not going to be able to recreate that magic every single time, but we need to be thinking about ways to make the UK entry and performance not just good, but genuinely competitive and worthy of a place in multiple nations' top tens so that we can start climbing up the leaderboard again. Anyway. I'm going to sign off on Eurovision 2023 by saying that I don't often feel an intense sense of national pride, but on this occasion, I genuinely did. We got hosting Eurovision right, and we should be proud of that. The BBC may not always hit the mark when it comes to picking the songs to compete, but our experience and the wealth of talent when it comes to live entertainment broadcasting absolutely shone through. And best of all, the Wikipedia page for this year's contest doesn't even have an incident section. That's how well it went. So good job, everyone. So, all that remains now, other than obsessively replaying our favourite songs from this year's contest, is to look ahead to 2024. We've already got the excitement of the confirmed return of Luxembourg, the five-time champions who haven't competed since 1993, as I discussed in the Big Five episode of this podcast, and I'd like to think I maybe help to inspire them into returning. Plus, there is the fevered speculation about where in Sweden it will actually be hosted next year. Currently, eight cities have expressed an interest in bidding, including Stockholm, Malmö, Gothenburg and Örnhundsvik, which I am busy learning how to pronounce just in case. So far, 12 countries have confirmed their participation. The United Kingdom is not currently one of them, but I don't think that's any cause for concern just yet. And of course, there is still a bit of a question mark hovering over Australia's continued participation, so I'm waiting on news on that one with interest, particularly since I will have to change my sign-off at the end of this podcast if they don't decide to come back. And after this episode, Doosbois is going to go on hiatus for a little while, just to give us a chance to recharge our batteries, because it's been a busy couple of weeks. But we are planning to be back in July with more features looking at Eurovision history to help you fill those long, long months until the national finals start up again. So if you haven't done so already, this would be a great time to hit subscribe on your podcast platform to make sure you are notified and ready as soon as we return. In the meantime, I would just like to say a hearty thank you for listening, and particularly to those of you who have said nice things about this podcast. I really do appreciate every single one of you who's taken the time to listen, and I hope you found it entertaining and or informative. Until next time, good night Europe and good morning Australia.